So happy Father's Day. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. We are in the uh, third week of our, our series called Scorecard. Uh, the idea behind this series is that uh, uh, we need a tangible, uh, measurable way uh, to be able to track uh, how we're doing in almost every area of life. No doubt, uh, your best bosses uh, that you've ever worked for were the kind of people who told you what success looked like and then gave you markers that indicated you were on that same, that same track. What, what, what frustrates me or has frustrated me in the past and probably frustrates you also is when, you, when, you, when you've had a boss that's held you to standards that, that weren't very clear. It was just in their head on whether or not you were, you were measuring up and in, or, or they, they weren't very clear on what was expected of you. So you thought that you were doing a great job having no idea that the people that you were uh, uh, accountable to uh, felt the exact opposite of you. So when we talk about growing in your relationship with God or, or getting closer to God or maturing in your faith, these are terms that, that churches use, and those are good terms, those are good phrases to use to describe what God's trying to do in our life. Um, I, I think it's, it's difficult to know whether or not this is happening without some type of way, uh, not to keep score against other Christians. It's not like I want to find out how I'm doing versus how, how well you're doing, but what I want to do is I want to measure where I am right now versus where I was a year ago or two years ago or, or, or five years ago. So we wanted to be able to give you a scorecard, not so that you could measure up against other followers of Jesus, but so that you could keep track of how you're doing in, in, your, in, your, own spiritual, in your own spiritual journey. Um, and uh, the theme verse for this whole series has been in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we're just going to jump right, right into it today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This verse has come up a lot over the past six months. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, we are God's masterpiece. A lot of us don't think of ourselves that way. Uh, some of us have that, that other voice in the back of our, uh, our head that tells us we're, 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 we're worthless, or we, we don't measure up, or, or I mean, I don't know what what voices are in the back of your head, but this, this verse indicates that there is something that God is trying to make of, of your life, and when he's done, it'll, it'll be awesome, but the truth is each one of us are in the process of becoming the person God always intended us to be. In fact, in, in the book of Romans, there's a verse that says it is predetermined that those of us who turn from our brokenness, our disobedience towards God, and our selfishness towards others to begin following after the ways of Jesus will be changed into the likeness of Jesus. So that's, that's the masterpiece. That's, that's, that's like, like, like if, if they're looking at a, like a photo and then, and then making a painting off of that photo or a bowl of fruit and they're making a painting off the, 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 the bowl of fruit is the ideal, right? And then the masterpiece is the representation of the actual thing. And, and the actual thing, the bowl of fruit, <laughs> is Jesus. That's what you'll get out of today, and that's probably all somebody will get. Jesus is a bowl of fruit. That's all I got at church today. But if Jesus is the bowl of fruit, then the painting that God is trying to make in our lives will, will be as close to that uh, as, as possible. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because it implies that there's intention to my life, that I'm not a cosmic accident. Even if I was to my parents, I wasn't to God, right? Like I've, we've got a kid that we, we didn't know was coming. And you know, I mean, I was going to say until he got here, we knew about 
six months before he got there that, that he was coming. I'm just saying, like, like, like there's bonus babies, right? We don't call our third child a, a, a surprise um, because not all surprises are good, but everybody loves a bonus. Am I right? So like every, like you, if, if your boss said, hey, I'm giving you a bonus, would you be happy? Yes or no? But if your boss came in and said, hey, I got a surprise for you. <laughs> you're like, I don't even know how to react, right? It's like it's, like it's, it's bonuses are, are, always, are uh, always good. So even if you weren't planned by them, you were by him, right? Like, like that he planned long ago. So before you ever showed up as a gleam in your daddy's eye, right? There was a preferred future for you. There was a life that God intended you to live that ends with his glory, others good, and your joy being most full. This life, if you live it the way God intends, you get to the end of it without regrets. There's no part, none of us have to, have to get to the place where we're on our deathbed dying of cancer probably. I think we will all die of cancer, right? Like it, it's, it's, I'm just saying, like when we get to that place, Dear God, I don't want to be laying on my deathbed wishing I could come back and do it all over again. But if I do it the way God intends, I'll never have to think that. I'll get to the end of this half of the journey, right? And then like, that was stinking amazing. And then I, I can't wait. And then I get to start eternity with the, the rewards of having lived life in cooperation with the masterpiece that God was trying to paint with my life. So we think... When we look at scriptures and the people that became those masterpieces, you can actually see things consistently in their lives that you and I need to be able to see in our own life. We've called those things markers. Like if I were to say, describe for me a good boss, you're not going to say just one thing. You're going to say a good boss is, and you're going to say he's, you know, he or she is this way, and they're this way, and then they, they do this, and this is how they relate to their, their peers, this is how they relate to uh, their, their accountability, and this is how they relate to their subordinates. This is how they manage their time outside of work. This is how they manage their time inside of work. This is how they keep themselves, like, centered and, and you know, emotionally and, and personally healthy, and they're, they're self-aware. Like, you're going to have markers of what it looks like to be, to be a healthy person, to be, to be a good boss, to be a great baseball player, to be a great basketball player. Like there's, there's measurables. And, and so, so far in this series, we've said that those who are growing in their relationship with Jesus are intentional in the way they live their lives around people who don't follow, follow him yet. Uh, last year, uh, each of the locations, excuse me, last week, each of the location pastors talked about how that if you're a growing, growing in your relationship with God, you've got a crew of people who are also following God that you got with you. Like you're intentionally, like you are, like intentionally, you are seeking out relationships that help foster spiritual, um, spiritual maturity. Um, uh, and, and, and today's teaching is probably going to be the most uncomfortable of, of all of the markers. Now, now the truth is, um, I, I'm, I'm a bad judge of myself. I'm, I, I always paint myself in, in the best possible light. Uh, and even if you're like, like a depressed person or like a, like you're like a, like a glass is half empty is what I meant to say, type of a person, when it comes to uh, you and, and other people, we have a tendency to give ourselves more of the benefit of the doubt than we do other people. Am I right? 
Um, like, like I, if, if, if my wife and I are, aren't getting along, it, it really is her fault. It's not mine. It, it is. Almost always. I mean, almost never. But I'm just saying, right? Like, that's, that's the way. And, and if you and your boss aren't getting along, it's because she's such a jerk, right? It's not because of any, like, we're, 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 we're not very good at being honest in our assessment of ourselves. I don't think there's anything that more, <laughs> that highlights this more than the way I think I look. Uh, because in my head, I'll see a picture of my senior, my senior picture, my, my graduation year, a photo, and in my head, I still look exactly like that. Like in my head, when I think about myself in the third person, I still, like I, I have not been watching in the mirror, and I have not noticed any big changes in the way that I look. So I still feel I look exactly the same, uh, uh, even even all the way up to like nine years ago. So I've, I've got a picture I want to show you from nine years ago, and this is us. And in my head, I still look exactly like that guy. And then like in my head, like that's just, that's just nine years, eight years ago maybe. And, and so I asked my, my daughter this weekend when I showed her this picture, I go, do, do I still look like this? And she said, no. And I said, you're not getting an inheritance now, so... <laughs> I'm going to spend your third. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave Garrett and Ryan there. No, I'm like, but she said, no, you, you don't. But in my head, I still look exactly like that guy until I walk by a mirror. And then when I look into a mirror and I see this and I hold up that, I realize there are some significant differences between the two. Right? Uh, Besides just the scale, <laughs> what I, I stand, I'm like, there's, there's some significant differences. And one of the things I love about the Bible is it cuts through our inability to assess ourselves accurately, and it shows us who we really are. And that's honestly one of the reasons why we don't like the Bible. Right? The reasons why we don't like adjusting ourselves, the way we live our lives, to the scriptures, because there's so, the more we read about God's word, the more we start finding the places in our life that God is wanting to change. The more I look into the mirror of the Bible, the more of the gray hairs I see, the more of the warts, the more of the, the zits, the pimples, the cavities, the, uh, the, uh, you know what? I'm not going to keep doing this. You do it about yourself. You see what I'm saying? Like, I, like, when I look at God's Word, it gives me an accurate reflection of myself, whether I like the image I'm looking at or not. So every week when we show up here at Grace Church, if you're a follower of Jesus, and we know not everybody at Grace Church is a follower of Jesus, and we're okay with that, because if you don't know where you stand spiritually before God, we really do believe that this is the best church for you to be at. And if you've got intellectual barriers to your faith, put those down on the communication card. Hand that in. Let us start an email dialogue because I want to help you get past that so that you can find your way to God because I believe that God's been in hot pursuit of you since the day you were born. And I don't think it's an accident that you're here, you're here right, right now. But for those of us who've chosen to turn from our brokenness to begin following the ways of Jesus, we have come to the conclusion that the Bible can be trusted and it is inspired by God and is his revelation to us in effort for, for us to live in, in every area of, of life. Now, if you struggle with that, 
Every other year, we do one whole teaching on just how we know that we can trust the Bible. We don't use the Bible to prove the Bible. It's not like that. And you can send us an email, and we'll connect you to that, that teaching also. But we're not going to take the time for that today. If you've already come to the place that you accept that the Bible is God's word for you, then every single week and when you hear a teaching, there's only two questions you should be asking. Is the preacher communicating accurately what the Bible says? That's a yes or no question. Is what he's saying exactly what this says? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then you get to move on to question number two, which is this. Do I trust God enough to obey him? That's it. Those are the main two questions for us to be asking every single weekend, especially when it's a tough subject like today. Especially when it's a tough subject. Today is the most uncomfortable of the markers for us to talk about publicly, and it's the area of generosity, being giving, what we do with our, with our money. Now, at Grace Church, I don't have a problem talking about this at all because the pastors are, are, have point authority on every area in the church except the area of finances. We aren't the ones who approve the budget. It is our trustees, and our trustees are not paid employees of the church. They're members of our congregation that you guys vote on or ratify every single year at the end of January. And it is also the budget that they approve that you get to approve, thumbs up or thumbs down or not. So the finances of Grace Church is not my authority. That is our authority. My salary is set. I don't set my salary. My salary has been set by the trustees of this congregation. If you dropped a million dollars in the offering plate this weekend, my income would not change at all. But dang it, what we did for the glory of God and for the good of others would be significantly different. Now, we're going to do what God puts in our heart to do with or without your help. You get to determine how much of it we get to do, though. Does that make sense? You get to determine how fast and how far God lets this church family go. So my wife and I give generously to God through this church family. And I know my income comes from the church. Well, isn't that just like throwing it right back into the pot? It's never been about the pot. It's about whether or not God has 100% of my heart too. And it's just as difficult for me to give the money that comes to me every week as it is for you. Like, we all struggle with this. This is a difficult thing. And the reason why it's such an uncomfortable topic is because we, we trade the majority of our week to get this paper. So what we do with this paper really, really, really means a lot to us because it represents so much of our waking hours. And because it matters so much to God, excuse me, to us, it matters to God. The very first fight in the history of humanity was over the priority God was going to have with our paper. Did you know that? The very first fight in the entire, in the entire human history. And, uh, and by the way, if, if that bugged you right there that I, that I talked about, the very first argument, the very first family, the very, the, the very first humans that, that ever lived, uh, like Christians have believed this for a long time, science has now caught up because genetics does prove that all humans, all, all homos, we come from the same, same two people. So welcome to the crowd. We've been here for a couple thousand years, 
But, but like that's, that's now a thing that everybody's o- o- okay with. The scripture tells us about them. And that's where we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 4. First fight ever recorded in human history was over the priority that God was going to take in our lives privately, specifically with our resources. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Uh, very first kid who was ever born. Cain, Cain was the firstborn. He was the, he was the oldest kid. Verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while, while Cain cultivated the ground. So they, they chose two different like, like vocational paths. Uh, so uh, Cain uh, was, was, a, uh, was, was, a, was a farmer and, and uh, um, Abel was, was a shepherd. That's what they did for a living. Verse 3. When it was time for the, for the harvest, uh, Cain, look at this, verse 3. When it was time for the harvest... Cain, uh, uh, Cain uh, presented, uh, what are the next four words? Some of his crops. Uh, what did Cain present to the Lord? He produced everybody. He presented some of his crops. That's what he did. He, he gave to God some of his crops as a, as a gift to the Lord. Verse 4. Abel also brought a gift. Uh, the best portion of the firstborn lambs of his flock. And then it adds something that it didn't add after Cain's offering. And said the, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. That, that, was, the, that was the offering that, that God was looking for. Verse 5. Uh, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And that made Cain angry. And he looked dejected. You could read what happens next. But, or I can just summarize it for you. God comes to him and says, Buddy, if, if you, like, why, why, do you, why do you look so dejected? If, if, you, just, if you just do the right thing, you'll, you'll be accepted. And rather than changing his ways, what he does instead is he catches his brother in a field and he murders him, kills him. Uh, The very first son who was ever born to humanity murdered the very second son that was ever born to humanity over the appropriate priority God should have in our lives as demonstrated by what we do with our resources. Abel's, both of them brought an offering to God. Both of them brought an offering to God. The offering wasn't what God wanted. What he wanted was the priority in their what? In their heart, as demonstrated by what offering they brought. That was the problem. Because Abel gave the best of the firstborn, meaning that when the two sheep came together and gave birth to a lamb, if that was a good one, God got it. What if they don't have any other lambs? It doesn't matter. The first one belongs to God. But what if they become sterile after that? It does, and you won't have any more. It doesn't matter. I trust that God is able to provide. So the only lamb that I have right now, if that's the firstborn and it's acceptable, that goes to God. And God goes, that's what I'm looking for. Cain, on the other hand, waits until the harvest comes in, and after the harvest is put away, he picks some of it to give to God. That was the difference. Abel gave his 
the, 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 the word that the rest of the Hebrew scriptures use to describe the difference between the offering between Cain and Abel is that Abel gave his first fruits. His best right off the top went to God, whereas Cain gave whatever was left over. The truth is, their offering accurately reflected the way they felt about God. The truth is, so does yours. So does mine. Now see, nobody here knows what anybody gives. Right? Like, I don't know what you give. You don't know what I give. You don't know what the person gives next to you, and the person next to you doesn't know what you give. But who knows? Who knows? God. And who does it matter to most? God, every single week, I have the opportunity in private to communicate to God the priority he has in my life. And there's one person paying attention to this, and it's the person that it matters to most, God. The problem wasn't the amount that Cain gave versus the amount that Abel gave. The difference was the priority of what they gave. You can tell how much somebody loves someone else by the gift they give them. Am I right? Um, some, so <laughs> Pastor Stephen from the Bridgewater location, his birthday was last Sunday. Uh, he got a text from me is what he got. <laughs> hey, bro, happy birthday. Love you. Glad you're here. But it ain't the same kind of love, Right? that I give to my son, because if all Ryan ever got for his birthday was a text, hey, bud, love you, glad you're a part of my life, you mean a lot to me, dad, <laughs> can you, what does that communicate, right, like, like, like I'm in my, like I've got all these friends on Facebook, half of them I don't even know, right, <laughs> just like you, Right, got all these Facebook friends, and it's their birthday, and I, and I'm scrolling through uh, this weekend, going through the birthdays list. You go to events, and then on the right hand side, there's birthday, and and then you pull up birthday, and it has all the list, and you can type in whatever you want, just hit return, and it'll take you to the next text box for whoever's birthday it is next. And I'm scrolling through there, and I'm like, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. Then I hit enter, and I'm like, I won't say happy birthday to you, and I skipped that one, and I did. I skipped like three people's birthdays today. I skip birthdays. So it's like, I, I know them, but I don't, I don't say I don't like them. I mean, they're fine. I just don't want my name to show up on their feed because I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I don't like them like I like other people. That's all I'm saying. But then there's other people in my life where I'm not just going to like put like a, like a happy birthday on, I like type it out. And their, their feed, I'm going to like go on to my computer to like, 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 like Google Pictures. I'm going to pull up a picture of us and I'm going to post it on their page. Or if I think that that would be too intrusive for their page, I'm, I might put it on my page. I'm going to tag them because I love them a little bit more. Now, if I really like them, I'm going to put something in the mail and send it to them. And if I really like them, I'm going to put something in the mail with that first thing I put in the mail. Right? And if I really, really like them, I'm going to go to their house. And if I really, really like them, I'm going to go to their house with more than just a card and a gift card. I'm going to buy them something that's personal. My gifts demonstrate the priority they have in my life. 
Yours do too. Like this, we know this in every area of our life. This is consistently, this is consistently true. So our first fruits is giving God's portion to him first so that I'm guaranteed that nobody else get what belongs to him. That's why. That's why I give to God first. That's why the, the priority, the, the placement of the offering, of the giving, matters so much to God. Because when Billy Jane and I sit down to do our budget, and we don't budget on 100% of what we make, we budget on 83% of what we make. Now, what we give is, is none of your business because I can give you a percentage and you don't know what I make, so it doesn't mean anything to you, right? But we know right off the bat, we've never in our whole marriage budgeted on more than 90% of our income because we wanted to be guaranteed that we never gave God's portion to AT&T, right? And truthfully, a lot of us would be more comfortable doing without the blessings of God than going without Wi-Fi for a week. Oh, we got real quiet <laughs> on, that, on that one. I'm just saying, like we demonstrate every single week what's most imp- who's most important to us. And if we're going to be completely honest, we're a whole lot more like Cain than Abel. Now we'll call ourselves good Christians, just like I still say I'm 225. Homeboy ain't 225. I stepped on the scale today. I'm 236. Okay, that's a lie. I'm really 238 and a half. Ah, it's embarrassing. I, wanted, I didn't want to tell you how high it was. This is the most I've ever, it's not the most I've ever weighed. I'm lying again. Most I've ever weighed. So we were on a vacation, came back from a cruise, and it was, I was 242. Whoa. Like in my head, I'm not 242. I'm, I'm 220 sexy. That's what I am. But the scale says, you ain't no 220 sexy no more, Jack, right? So I can, I can say I'm 220 sexy all I want, but the scale's going to say what I really am. So I can say all I want, how good of a Christian I am. But what I really do with my money says what I really am in my heart. It really does. Which brings us to the first thing that you should be able to say about yourself. I give at least the first 10% of my income back to God. Moses is the one who, actually Moses isn't the one who codified this, Abraham. The first guy that God said, I'm looking for a group of people to be an example to the rest of the entire world. Will you be that guy? Abraham said, yeah, I'll be that guy. He said, then leave your moon-worshiping like, like pagan country and go to a land that I'll show you. And when he gets there, you know, there's some struggles and they're in tribal bands at this time in human history. And, and, and he meets a guy named Melchizedek and nobody knows anything about this guy. He's a, he's a big mystery. You can Google him or Wikipedia Melchizedek and there's a lot of theories on who that guy was. He's, he's somebody that shows up in Abraham's life and, and Abraham gives 10% of everything he had to God through, through this, this priest, uh, Mel, Mel, Melchizedek, that then becomes so, so giving a tenth of, off, off the top before it's spent anywhere else 
to God, right? Like giving that to, to God, uh, it predates the law of Moses and, and it postdates the law of Moses also, enters even into the church age and we'll see that bef- before, before we're done. Uh, but then Moses comes along and he codifies this and says this is, this is the expectation, this is the starting place for everybody who's a follower of God. And, and, and here's the tough thing for us. A lot of us are living at 104% of our, of our, of our income. Uh, truthfully, you're in more debt this year than last year. And the kind of debt you're in is not good debt. It's not like it's mortgages, right? It's not because you've bought an investment property. That's not the kind of debt we're talking about. The kind of debt we're talking about is, is credit card debt over disposable things like pizzas. Some of us, honestly, are still making monthly payments for pizzas we had three Super Bowls ago, right? I'm just saying we, we're, we're not good with our, with our, with our money, and because of our lack of personal discipline in the area of our finances, we live in complete disobedience to God because of it. So then the idea is that if you're not giving anything at all, start giving something. If you're giving something, connect it to a percentage. And whatever percentage that is, keep going until you get to 10. Then I've got another mentor who said, why would you ever encourage people to do less than what God said was the beginning? Why would you encourage people to be disobedient? I don't know what to do with this. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what advice to give you. I, I, I don't. But I do know where it starts. And where it starts is that the first 10% of every dollar my wife and I make, it, it's not something I give to God out of my pocket. It is already God's, the Bible says. And if I don't give it to him, then the word, the phrasing that that's used is, I'm robbing God. So it's not that I'm being stingy. It's that I'm stealing because it belongs to him. Like that's a, that's a sacrifice. It's an act of worship is what it is. That since the very first humans were ever created, the very first right off the top belonged to God as a demonstration that everything came from him. That's what that is. It's his. Moses talks about that in, in Jesus' day. Though that they, they turned it into a financial transaction. They thought that this offering was, was just about funding the temple. And truthfully, there's a lot of people who think of their tithe as, uh, this is what I do to support the church. You've never heard me say you need to give to Grace Church. Uh, I don't give to Grace Church. I give to God. I do that through Grace Church. Now, if I didn't trust Grace Church, I would go to another church that I could trust but even in that church, I would be giving to God through that church. Abraham didn't give his offering to Melchizedek. Abraham gave his offering to God through Melchizedek. What Melchizedek did with it, Abraham couldn't care less. He wasn't giving it to Melchizedek. He was giving it to God through Melchizedek, right? Like that's, that's what that... That was when so Jesus' day, though, that isn't what it was about. It wasn't about God anymore. Now it was just about keeping the political, religious machine going. And Jesus confronts that in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. The people that were like the examples of that are the, the worst examples of, of missing the point were the Pharisees. 
Uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees in Luke eleven forty two, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, because you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. So here's what they did. What they did was they, and they used this as a justification for their own personal awesomeness is what they did. So not only out of their, their you know, paychecks, however that worked in their economy, when they got paid, not only did 10% of that go to God, but if they, if they had like a little garden in their backyard or a little side hustle or they mowed grass, on the side or, you know, had like a little internet thing on eBay going. Like, so it's not just like their main source of income that they tithe off of. If they, if they sold a used bicycle for 50 bucks, $5 of that went into the, into the temple. So like they, they, it's not that they were just tithing off of their income. They were being super strict to make sure that they gave God 10% of, of everything. I got, I got a 10 slice pizza pie, one slice I don't know what they would do with that to give that to God, hand it to a priest. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, like even of their herb garden, they were like, they were like super strict about it because this was just, for them, just this financial transaction. Uh, it, but here's the problem. Uh, he's, Jesus said, but you ignore justice and you ignore the love of God. And then Jesus said, you, you should tithe. Yes, like that's, Jesus affirms the tithe. You, this is something you should do. But bro, you can't ignore the heart because that's what this has always been about. That's what he says. He says, but you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. What? The love of God. Justice. Doing right in the world. Like this is what it's always been for. And you guys have made this. No, as long as I get my tithe, I can get to go do whatever I want. My heart can stay as selfish as it wants because I gave God money. Jesus goes, you missed the whole point of this. It's never been about the money. It's always been about the priority. And you guys have forgotten that. God gives us everything and then asks us to give the first tenth back to him as an act of dependence on him. And that's not even generosity. That's just obedience. Doing what I'm expected to do shouldn't be that grand gesture of awesomeness that I should be patted on the back for. We shouldn't get bonuses because we did what we were hired to do. If you get a bonus, it should be because you did more than what you were hired to do. We understand that. You tip somebody not for doing their job, but for doing their job better than expected. Waitresses are different. That's, uh, they get paid. Tip your waitresses. That's all I'm saying. Or your wait staff, right? Like, I was a waiter. I know what that's like. I delivered pizzas too. And my daughter drives for Domino's. If you get Lauren, shows up at your door, tip the heck out of that chick. In the name of Jesus, I'll give you an extra prayer tomorrow night. I'm just kidding. That's inappropriate. I'm sorry. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse, verse 41 to 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money when they came into the temple. So he's just watching everybody give their offering. Uh, many rich people put in large amounts of money. Then a poor widow came in and dropped in two tiny coins. Jesus called his disciples over to him, and he said, uh, did you guys just see that? And, and they had and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Why do you say that? Because they gave a tiny part of their what? Surplus. 
They gave from their leftovers. It was large amounts of money, but it was leftover money. Jesus saw what this girl had and what she gave. The amount was insignificant. The priority was magnificent. And for all of forever, we know what she did. Because what she did meant something. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. That's, she didn't give a tithe. What's 10% of two coins? She didn't give a tithe. That's generosity. She gave 100. If you were the pastor, if you were Jesus, and you saw this woman walk in, poor as she is, Jesus said, and she's got two coins left to her name, and she's about to give that to God through this temple. Would you have let her do that? Or would you have said, whoa, 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 stop. You need to go buy some like lemonade packets and some cups and go stand outside and then turn that two coins into 20 coins, then give your two coins, not take your 18 coins, and go out and buy even more lemonade and then hire another little kid so you don't even have to do the lemonade anymore. You just watch the little kids do the lemonade and now you got 200 coins. Now you can give 20 coins. See, that way... You can give God even more because we're keeping score the wrong way. We think it's about the amount. What it's always been about is the priority. Jesus, do you get this? Jesus let her give away her last two coins. He didn't even stop her. That's not selfish. It's beautiful. Because he knew what God would do in a person's life who lives that way. He knew the best thing for her was to allow her to be as generous towards the things of God as she possibly could be. Because he knew what would happen. Some of us give $100 a month to God. Some of us give $100 a week. Some of us give $1,000 a month. <laughs> I don't know if anybody gives $1,000 a week, but you could be given $1,000 a week, and we think we're killing it. But truthfully, if we're going to be honest, it's still leftovers. Most of us give what we give because it's what we have after everything else we already want is taken care of. But we want to be congratulated because of the amount. Which brings me to the second thing. Oh, wait, not yet. She gave more than a tithe. Jesus didn't stop her. already said that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That was a real weird response, especially for now I got to change what I was about to say. No, I'm not. Let me just say this. Some of us put on a really good religious show on Facebook. We do. It's true. I follow most of you. Right? We're really good at putting on a Christian show 
just like all of those people who came in in front of that lady dropping their, man, dropping their coins in the box. But the truth is, God sees what we do with our money, and he knows how real this is. This isn't about the show you put on, it's about your heart, and your giving is private. And because it's private, that's why it matters even more. Because it is a better reflection of what you actually feel about God. When other people are watching, all of us can make it like we love God more than everybody else. But when nobody's watching, that's the real us. And that's why it matters more. Which brings me to the second thing, that I leverage my money to be a blessing to others. There's this beautiful story in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I have in my notes to read the entire chapter minus the last two verses. It's 85 verses long, so buckle up. I'm just kidding, it's not. Um, but Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to the church in Corinth about an offering that they wanted to take up for the poor in Jerusalem because of the oppression that they were in. And they wanted to take up an offering. And this wasn't their tithes. This wasn't the 10% that they were bringing to God through their local church family. On top of their tithes, on top of their first fruits, they had it in their heart to do more. And so Paul gives some instructions on how they're supposed to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I do want you to see uh, verse, verse 1 and 2 where he says, I really don't need to write to you about the ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving outside toward the needs of others outside of their church, their church as well. Skip down to verse 5. Uh, so I thought, he gives them some instructions. He says, well, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to take your, your money, and I, I want you to decide how much you're going to do, and I want you to pull that out every single week from your income, and I, and I want you to give that when you come together on the first day, first day of the week, which is when uh, they were gathering together uh, for worship, was on the first day of the week. And the reason why those who were followers of Jesus began worshiping on Sunday instead of Sabbath uh, was because it was the day that Jesus had resurrected uh, from the dead. Uh, verse 5, though, says, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift. I, I don't want you to give it out of, uh, you know, grudg grudgingly uh, is, is what he says. Uh, look at verse uh, 7. Uh, verse 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much you want to give to this. And, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God loves a person who gives, who gives cheerfully. Verse 8, and, and God will generously provide everything, everything that you need. So in case you're worried about your generosity, this isn't the tithe. The tithe already belongs to God. I don't give to God what's his. I'm not giving you your car when you go out to the parking lot and get in it. It's your car. Even if I had the keys for a moment, right? It's still your car, right? Like that's, that's, that's yours. I'm just giving you what belongs to you. If I borrow the keys and I give you the keys back, I didn't just give you a car. I gave you what already belonged to you. The question is now, if I, you're like, now I buy a set of tires for your car, that's generosity. 
right? Like that's, so he says, I don't, I, like if you're worried about this generosity, verse 8 says, and God will generously provide all that you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And that's where the generosity piece comes in. The generosity piece isn't that first 10%, the off the top, the first fruits that belong to God. My generosity comes from my ability to manage my money well and live within my means so that I do have extra leftover. And it's out of that leftover that I'm generous with. Does that make sense? I'm not generous because I obediently gave God first fruits. I'm generous when even though I've done that, I've still been so good with my money, I've managed to have leftover. And what I do with the leftover is I give it to God's kingdom purposes. That's what God goes. When you're doing what I never even asked you to do, ha! Now there you go. Now you're like the lady who walked into the temple after all the rich people. Because you're doing what nobody even asked you to do. And I know what kind of a heart that comes from. And God goes, that's awesome. That's, 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 that's the deal right there. Look at verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. So he's not talking about money. So when the farmer has seed, he's got to decide how much of this seed does he grind into flour and consume this year versus seed he puts back into the ground. Because if he eats everything he makes, he won't get anything else to eat anymore. So he's got to make a decision every single harvest how much of this goes back to where it came from which is the same decision we have. If everything I have comes from God, I have to make the same decision a farmer has to make. How much of this goes back to where it came from? Now, 10% already belongs to him. But of the rest of my seed that I have left over, how much of that do I want to put back into the ground? That's, that's what he's talking about here. He says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources so that this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not that you need to give a seed so that God will make you rich. This is the secret to getting rich is to give the church money. You've probably heard that on TV. Sorry, I said money really weird. But I'm just saying like that's, that's what preachers would, would go with that. But that's not where God's going with it because it's never been about you giving to me so I can give more to you to hang on to. It's never been about that. It, Jesus says what it's about. He says, because then God will provide, verse 10, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Now he knows. You're the one through whom I can funnel resources to what I'm trying to do in the world. You're the one. I can, I can trust you. You manage it well. You do what's expected. You do even more than what's expected. You're the one through whom I'm looking to do crazy awesome things for the kingdom of God. You're the one. Uh, verse 13. Paul says, uh, no, verse 12. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they'll joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus. Paul gives us instructions when it comes to our offering. That's what we give out of the leftovers. After we've already given God what belongs to him, 
There's just a few things. One is this. Our generosity moves others to be more generous. That's what he said in verse 2. Uh, we're to give whatever it is we're willing to give. That's verse 5. Don't give because somebody made you feel bad. That's verse 7. And it should be generous. That's verse 8. God provides more for you in return for the purpose of greater generosity later. That's verse 10. And our generosity is what changes people's lives. And the truth is, your generosity in this church family not only has met the needs of this church family, pays for everything that you're sitting in right now, but your generosity helps single mamas with rent almost every single month. Every single week in all locations, we get up and we say, if you showed up today and need, you came to the right church. If you don't have any groceries in your pantry, about to have utilities shut off or your kids need sneakers. Where do we get that money? That comes from your generosity. That's where that comes from. We just sent $76,000 to New Zealand to start a church in a park on the other side of where the mosque shooting was in Christchurch. That, that's you. You're the ones who are paying for the the two feeding centers in Mongolia. You're, you're feeding kids who are being taught to follow Jesus by Chris and Stephanie Ballinger that you will never meet. But someday in eternity, one of them little Mongolian kids who led their family to follow Jesus and changed their entire line of descendants is going to walk up to you with one of their descendants who's going to ask, which one of our ancestors was the first one to follow Jesus? It's going to be that little kid. You're going to say, tell me how you came to faith in Jesus. It's going to be Chris and Stephanie Ballinger. And Chris and Stephanie Ballinger says, but we would never have got here without, and they're going to introduce them to you. That's what our generosity does. It changes people's lives. It starts churches in spiritually under-resourced places. It feeds poor kids in San Lucas, Guatemala. And we're about to start a couple of churches in Cuba we're feeding three whole neighborhoods in Haiti. You're doing this for the glory of God, not to feel better about yourself. Because if all we do is just put food in their bellies, but never give them an opportunity to turn from sin, they spend eternity separated from God without hunger. So we know we're going to do all of this just for the opportunity that some of them will turn from sin and begin following Jesus. That's the hope. And it is happening. That's what our generosity does. We're going to keep starting churches. All six states of New England are in the most under, spiritually under-resourced states in the country. All six states are in the top 10, top 10 least religious states. And by God's grace, we're going to start a crap ton of churches in all the towns around us. And some of you guys who are driving more than two towns away, you're going to be part of those, some of those new baby churches. And I'm pumped about that. But that's going to be paid for by us. God's got plans He's got great things that he planned long ago to do with us. Which brings me to the last thing. And that is, those of us who are generous manage all of my assets in a godly way. We don't rack up stupid debt. Scripture says that fools do that. It says that we're slaves to people that we own money to. Some of you guys feel that kind of oppression because of the amount of debt you're in. We have debt counselors here at Grace Church. We have classes that teach you how to live on a budget because this stuff matters. It is ruining your life. God never intended you to be here, so stop it. Like, we can help you get out of that kind of debt. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. What's he talking about? You'll be voted one and despise the other. What two masters, what two options do I have for masters in my life, Jesus? What are you talking about? He tells you, you cannot serve both God and money. You will use God to get money or you will use your money to worship God. No other options. Giving first fruits and obedience set me free from a heart of doubt Doubting where my stuff comes from. Giving generously on top of that sets me free from a heart of selfishness. Leveraging my temporary income to make a permanent difference is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal, because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Two questions and we're done. Number one is this. Does God have first priority, yes or no? If the answer is no, then what are you going to do this week to change that? Remember, two questions every sermon. Is what the preacher's saying from the Bible, yes or no? If it is, second question, do I trust God enough to obey him? I can't choose that for you, but you can. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you provide for us and you bless us, but God, the end result of your blessing in our lives isn't our comfort. It's our usefulness. You brought us into your family to play a part in your family. And God, you're not even done building your family. You're going to use us and our resources to continue to give more people more chances to find and follow you, Jesus. God, please help us to use our money wisely. God, there's a whole lot of people in our church who are in a whole lot of trouble financially because we've made a whole lot of bad decisions. God, we've got to stop making it worse. Help us, God, to cut up our credit cards. Help us to get rid of our debt. Help us to only buy what we can actually afford. God, help us to give to you before we give to Chase Manhattan. Help us to give to you before we give to AT&T or Sprint. Help us to give to you before we give to Duncan. God, help us to give to you before Starbucks. Help us to give to you before Best Buy. God, you are first, or you're not. Forgive us for sinning against you. Break our hearts over the sin that is in there and call us to live differently and let us experience every good work you ever planned so that we could become the masterpiece you designed us to be. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus and we all say together, amen.